All right, pop quiz. Does the word beatitude have anything to do with our attitude? Answer, nope. <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, my Sunday school teacher taught me that the beatitudes were Jesus's be attitudes. In other words, they told us the kind of attitudes we were supposed to have, how we were supposed to be. But the word beatitude, which shares a common root not with the word attitude, but actually with the word beautiful, actually means supreme happiness. It's a word that reflects a state of extreme blessedness, which actually makes sense, right? Because in the Beatitudes, Jesus repeats the phrase, blessed are the, and then names, uh, he names a kind of person that we normally wouldn't think of as blessed. And my Sunday school teacher turned the Beatitudes into a list of rules to follow, but Jesus wasn't giving us the Ten Commandments 2.0. In this episode, I'm speaking with Mark Scandrett, author of The Ninefold Path of Jesus, Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. Mark does a fantastic job not only unpacking what the Beatitudes are all about, but also showing us how living into the reality of the Beatitudes can help us be healthier and more life-giving leaders. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 112 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Hey everyone, uh, I'm here with Mark Scandrett. Mark is the Executive Director of Reimagine, a center for integral Christian practice and the author of The Ninefold Path of Jesus, Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. Hi Mark, how are you doing? Hey, great to be with you, Marcus. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here today. Um, Mark, why don't you uh, just kind of start by telling us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, um, my wife and I and our kids live in San Francisco, California. I'm really passionate about helping people apply the teachings of Christ to everyday life. And so we normally host a series of workshops and uh, encounters we call learning labs. And we do quite a bit of traveling and hosting of retreats around the world. During COVID, I'm doing all of this from my bedroom yeah. uh, with online workshops. Uh-huh. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to talking with you about uh, your book, uh, The Ninefold Path of Jesus. But before we get into that, uh, I want to ask you a few get-to-know-you questions. And so uh, here's the first one. Mark, what would a mirror opposite of yourself be like? Wow. Th- these are some tough questions, Marcus. I would say the mirror. <laughs> I am the mirror opposite of myself. <laughs> okay. Tell me more. <laughs> well, I'm a... a I'm an, I identify as an Enneagram four for people who know about that. And so okay. I'm always wondering who I am. It's the question I ask uh, every day of my life. <laughs> okay. What have you figured out so far? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not just the emptiness that I sometimes feel on an emotional mm. level, you know, and mm-hmm. on, a, on a good day or a good moment, I'm able to embrace the, the truth that I'm, this is a safe universe to live in, and I'm deeply loved and a, a child of God. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, here's the next hard question. Um, <laughs> if your life was a book, what would its title be? Mm. Wow. Well, it might be um, the first book I wrote was called Soul Graffiti, 
Hmm. And that might be the title of my life. I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, what's um, like how, how the, uh, how the message of Jesus hits the missy details of our lives and right where we live on the streets and, mm-hmm. and secret places of our lives. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, and then last question, what, what would the title of the current chapter of your life be? Wow. Well, we were talking about this before we got on. It might be uh-huh. called uh, like hot tub uh COVID coping, maybe. <laughs> That's awesome. Because? Because <laughs> I just bought a, a portable hot tub that I'm going to install yes. later on this week. Yeah, all right. It, see if it helps with the pandemic blues. Yeah, good. Good for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, good. Well, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I'd love to just kind of hear about your your journey, your spiritual journey. You know, how how did you come to faith? What What did that look like as you as you got older, grew older and, and what led eventually to the writing of this book? Yeah, I, I came to faith at a very early age and then kind of came into greater awareness of uh, my relationship with God when I was 12 or 13 years old, felt really called to do something with, uh, with it. Um, I was reading a good news, new Testament with the little uh, drawings in, yeah, it in the early eighties. I remember that, <laughs> and just fell in love with Jesus, and uh, and thought I, I want him to be the master of my life, and that started yeah. me on on my spiritual journey. Uh, got into ministry pretty early, and by the time I was nineteen, I was uh, regional director of a faith based nonprofit. Became a mm. pastor at twenty three or twenty four. Hmm. And um, because I grew grown up in in church, I felt like I was, you know, able to assume some leadership, but came to a crisis in my leadership when I was twenty six or twenty seven, where hmm. I I wondered, is any of this making any difference? Hmm. Uh, n- not just for the people that I was serving, the congregation, but also yeah. for me, if I'm reading books and studying theology and uh, scripture and then regurgitating it into a book report on Sundays. Is that really, is it changing me? Is it changing anyone else? And, and uh, that, that ache for something more substantive uh, kind of put me on the journey that I've been on now for the last 20 some years Mm -hmm. of really wanting to figure out how to integrate the truth of the gospel, the reality of God's kingdom into the messy details of my life. And then from that, uh, from that ex- lived experience, invite others into that journey as well. Mm, that's good. That's good. And then um, tell us about, yeah, what led to this book, The Ninefold Path of Jesus, a book focusing on the Beatitudes. Sure. Um, back in 2015, I was in a pub in London uh, with some new friends that invited me to lead a retreat uh, for their global staff. And I'd previously written a book called Practicing the Way of Jesus, was a, mm-hmm. about a, a practical group approach to spiritual mm-hmm. formation. And they said, we love what you did in that book. We want to do a project around the Beatitudes. Would you be willing to help us design a learning journey through the Beatitudes mm-hmm. with, uh, based on your experience? And I immediately said, yes, it sounded like a great project. And so we spent a couple of years together working on a, a project called Nine Beats, de, uh, creating a learning journey 
through the Beatitudes. And so this book really comes out of traveling to five different continents and engaging with thousands of people, looking at these revolutionary words of Jesus at the beginning of Matthew 5 and inviting people into questions of what would this look like if we could experience these realities in our lives. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. What I love about that is... um, you didn't just wake up and say, I think I'll write a book about the Beatitudes, right? <laughs> but yeah, it comes out of, I don't know how many years, but years of doing work around the Beatitudes and and helping people begin to experience and live them out. Um, is that true? Yeah, uh, I might yeah? I might write books different than uh, other people where I really want to, I write it after I've had years of experience mm-hmm. uh, working with those principles yeah. And inviting others into it um, because yeah. I, I I want my writing to come from that lived experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, most of uh, the folks listening to the podcast know what the Beatitudes are probably um, and have read them probably many, many, many times. But uh, maybe just kind of help us understand what the Beatitudes are and maybe why did Jesus give us the Beatitudes? Yeah, I I mean, obviously, the Beatitudes come at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. and I think um, often the the big takeaway that most most of us get from the Beatitudes is that they seem to suggest that the blessed life or a with God life can come to un- the unlikeliest people. Um, mm. Jesus uses that term makarios, which yeah. means something like, oh my goodness, this person has it going on. They are yeah. living life at another level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind of honorific that in today's culture we might give to a popular athlete or uh, Queen Beyonce, a pop star, or a, a billionaire tech person. Like yeah. th- this is this is the, a person who's living life on a whole other level. Yeah. So what's surprising yeah. is who Jesus says Macarius blessed are too, and he says it he's, he says it to uh, about people who are in poverty and struggle and suffering, yeah. um, people on the underside of power. So right. he's really turning the tables on our understanding of, of, of a blessed life and letting us know nobody gets left out, nobody gets left behind. Wherever, Whatever your story, whatever your situation you find yourself in, God's life and God's light, light mm-hmm. can come to you and can be experienced. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, you know, um, the first time I ever came across that word Macarius was, I think, in Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy. And uh, and that just, it changed the way I thought about the Beatitudes. And that was maybe, you know, 15 years ago, maybe almost 20, I, I can't, yeah, something like that. Maybe, not quite 20 years ago, but um, it was a while ago. But I, so I've been living with the idea that the the, the Beatitudes were like a, a new set of rules that Jesus was giving us, right? If you want to be blessed, then you have to be meek, right? If you yeah. want to be uh, blessed, then you have to be poor in spirit or, you know, all these things. Um, but that's not what they are, right? Yeah. And I, I think, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that the Beatitudes are often interpreted. Hmm. And, um, you know, I think that, I like to. I think. Uh, I think that the main message is what we've already talked about. But I also think that there might have been some intention, particularly behind why Matthew chose nine poetic statements 
Hmm. And they come at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which, uh, you know, I was, I'm grateful that I got to spend time with Dallas Willard. And he would often say that the Sermon on the Mount is like the curriculum for Christ-likeness. So uh, I looked at the Beatitudes and thought, maybe, maybe um, the, the Beatitudes are setting up the themes for what Jesus is going to share further about in the Sermon on the Mount about how to experience uh, or or live in the reality of God's kingdom. Yeah. So wait, so let me see if I understand this. So I was expecting you to go to say um, it's a parallel to the 10 commandments, uh, the mm-hmm. nine and then plus one is the rest of the sermon. That's not what you said though. <laughs> I was like, Oh, where's he going with this? I mean, that's um, another thought. That's an interesting but- one. Okay. <laughs> Nope. Don't, don't anybody write this down. This is just, so, uh, <laughs> so I would say, I, I don't think we can come to a definitive answer about what, what exactly was in the intent of Jesus or Matthew, sure. yeah. but, but for the purposes of my work, what I was looking for was a way to remember the themes in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, yeah. if, if the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus curriculum for Christ likeness, mm-hmm. well, there's 110 verses there. There's a lot of different teaching approaches. Yeah. And so for this book, I've used the Beatitudes to name those nine areas of our lives that, yeah. that the gospel impacts or connects with these nine areas of vulnerability that we have really. Yeah. Well, so let's, uh, let's talk then about the impact that the Beatitudes can have in our lives, right? If it's a, I mean, I like the title, the ninefold path of Jesus. It's a path, right? It's Mm -hmm. a, you take one step and then another step and uh, it takes you from here to there. Uh, Maybe, maybe that's a, a, some, uh, one way of looking at it. Like where does it, where do the Beatitudes take us? If we follow this path, where do the Beatitudes take us? Yeah. Uh, one of my premises is that Jesus had an accurate understanding of reality. Hmm. Uh, he, the language he often used was the kingdom of God. And I think almost every place where Jesus says the kingdom of God, you could insert reality is this. Hmm. Yeah. So if we could see the world as Jesus did, uh, who who God is, who we are, and how life works, yeah. we would naturally be able to, uh, I think, live in the authority and the power and uh, the presence that he had. Um, and so he, can, through, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, continue, you know, continually said, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. So he's trying to invite us to rethink our thinking or reimagine mm-hmm. Yeah. our assumptions about life. And so I think that there's some interesting kind of um, ahas that uh, that potentially open up for us when we look at those themes of the Beatitudes. Uh, and, and what would some of those ahas be? Yeah, well, one of them would be, uh, I think that possibly the Beatitudes name some of our first instincts that take us away from God's reality and presence. Mm-hmm. And then invite us to re-engage with or affirm those those uh, those realities on a deeper level. Here, here's an example uh, example of first instinct. Um, most most of us know about the fight or flight response. That when we encounter stressful new situations, our tendency is to feel anxious. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, this happened ever since we were, you know, we came out of our mother's bodies. There was this, I've got to survive instinct. And if we don't learn to see our situation from a broader perspective, that leads to toxic anxiety mm. and hi- a heightened state that's, um, that's, that's uh, damaging to, to our minds and bodies. And so I think, th- I think the Beatitudes mentioned nine different instincts like that and a way of seeing our situation from a larger perspective, from God's reality mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, right, which is why we can say that someone who is poor in spirit or meek or whatever or or suffering is uh is blessed is Makarios, right? Because you're looking at it from God's perspective. You know what I love yeah. about it too is right just before the Beatitudes, it talks about the people that Jesus is talking to, all these people that are sick and lame and you know, and he's healing them and 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 it's like, oh, these are the people that are blessed. What? And you wouldn't mm-hmm. expect you wouldn't expect anybody to say that, right? No. If you if you're you know lame, paralyzed or blind or whatever, how could you say that you're blessed? And here Jesus comes along and says, No, all you who think that you're not, you actually mm-hmm. are. Anyway, that's that's that uh perspective from from god's side of things that yeah so let's just go with that example um jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit or the poor Mm -hmm. in the words of luke so what does it mean to be poor poverty is when you you don't have enough or you feel like you don't have enough something is lacking and when we feel that our first instinct is to grab and grasp, to close mm. our hands and a tight fistedness. I know yeah. what that feels like inside worry, anxiety, mm-hmm. ambition, a greediness, a mentality of more, bigger and better. Yeah. And so with this beatitude, I, I, and we see this play out in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is inviting us to move from this posture of close handedness about not having enough to open headedness, to Mm -hmm. receive what we need Mm -hmm. with gratitude, to ask, seek and knock for what we uh, lack, to learn to be content with what we have, and then to share what we have with one another and learn to live with a sense of interdependence and generosity rather than that closed handedness. Right. Uh, Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, And, and, um, and you mentioned the postures in that as well. And you, you use that throughout the book. And, and there's even pictures mm-hmm. <laughs> of these different postures. Um, talk about the postures and uh, why you think of the Beatitudes in, in those ways. And sure. Why that's helpful. Um, so during the time that we were developing this material, I was, I was um, with some friends in London. And we were like, this isn't sticky. It's not snappy yet. Like, we, we know that these things are accurate to scripture, these invitations, but it's not, it's not grabbing. And um, so we began to think about what's our default posture uh, or response to life. And then what is the, our first instinct posture? And then what is the new posture that the gospel invites us into? Yeah. And so for in the book, for each beatitude, there's a first instinct posture, and then, um, and then a a, a a a new posture that we're invited to embrace. So, some examples yeah. I mentioned: close-handedness, open-handedness. Yeah. One is um, turning away from pain or numbing yeah. out from what's hard. 
Mm-hmm. And the new posture is to sit with pain and to face it. Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah. Um, the third beatitude says, blessed are the meek. And, and so our first posture is to measure and compare ourselves with one another. Yeah. Who's the tallest, the strongest, the smartest. And um, the new posture is to embrace our our inherent dignity and worth as children of God and get out of that game of competition and comparison. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think I, I want to say that there's something very real about the postures. Um, and okay. Little uh, self-disclosure here. My therapist <laughs> works on postures with me. Um, mm-hmm. Like if I'm talking to him and, uh, and then I'll do something like this, he'll go, wait, 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 hold that pose. What, what, you know, just, and then, and he does this thing called somatic experience. And anyway, and it helps me work through whatever is going on inside of me with those poses. Right. But those different like closed hand or tight fistedness, right. That's a pose that um, can impact or is a reflection and an influence on our inner life. Right. Yeah. In the same way, open hands uh, can impact and uh, be a reflection of our, our inner life. Yeah. So Um, we're embodied beings. And I think for truth to really come into the whole person, we've got to pay attention to how we're experiencing life in in our bodies, like your therapist has turned you on to. (laughs) One of the first times I shared this material uh, publicly, uh, I was up in Seattle and a guy came up to me after the talk and he said, when you invited us to open our hands in this posture of receptivity Mm -hmm. and trust, he said, I really struggled with that. And he said, I'm, I'm getting a master's degree in like somatic studies. And so do you know, do you know what's going on when you have us do that stuff? My body didn't want to be in that vulnerable state. And he connected it to some traits of his personality and say, I like to be in control. So yeah. you inviting us into that open posture challenged my internal state. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It's amazing. I'll, I, if I may share one more example, um, I was uh, at my former church leading a uh, session meeting, our elder meeting, and uh, it got really tense over something um, not very important. <laughs> but be, two two of our folks that were really uh, kind of head to head, butting heads on something. And then a third uh, elder kind of interjected and he's a, he's an attorney, but a great guy, you know, and, and he said, you know, why, let's do this. Let's lay our hands palms up on the table mm. and, and have our conversation that way, because it just makes it a little harder to get angry at each other. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, you're right. So we just all sat there with our hands, palms up on the table, which is totally different than palms down on the table, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's amazing how God works through our bodies. So anyway, I, I love that you included that, um, the different postures, which makes it really, um, well, embodied, tangible, right? It's, uh, it's a whole person. And even during my speaking or, uh, you know, teaching on S- Sunday gatherings, I've found it really helpful to invite people to take on a posture Mm. And to sit with it or to face one another. We, we've had some really powerful experiences. With oh, that's good. That's good. Well, um, I, I'd love to talk about just for the last few minutes, what um, let's talk about just the I- impact on leadership. You know, why do pastors need to better understand? Why do we need, why do ministry leaders, why do we need to better understand the Beatitudes and how does that, how would you say that that impacts the way we lead? Yeah. 
I I like to think of the Beatitudes as the psychology of the kingdom of God. Mm. Like, um, what do what do I? What's the work or the invitation from the inside to the outside that I'm invited into, in order to be able to live as Jesus lived? And I think uh, oftentimes we focus on the external, like this is what we should do or mm-hmm. could do. And yeah. knowing could or should doesn't actually empower us to do it. And mm-hmm. so I'm very interested in um, accompanying leaders in helping them walk along with others and try and understand what, what choices and what awareness do we need on the inside in order to make it easy to follow Jesus' instructions on the outside? And he, yeah. said, his, he said his burden is easy and his way is light. And so um, he really does have a more a free and light way for us to live that that um, isn't earned. It's yeah. given, yeah. Um, but it does require response. Yeah. Well, do you do you think there are any of the beatitudes, any of these, pa- well, parts of the path, you know, that are harder for leaders than others? I think there. Well, I think everyone has. Everyone has some contact with kingdom reality and other places where our minds and hearts tend to be distorted in our understanding of who God is and who we are and how life works. And so I think it really comes down to the individual. I do see some patterns with leaders um, where I think a lot of us struggle with competition and comparison and so that beatitude imitation, blessed are the meek, where we learn to affirm mm. inherent dignity and worth rather than comparing or competing yeah. is really powerful. Yeah. Um, I think for particularly those of us who lead in the West, mm. uh, the Western world, success and achievement are a really big deal. And we rarely take time to mourn or feel the feels or to sit with mistakes and failure. And so Jesus invitation, blessed are those who mourn to, to, to sit in lament and complaint can be a really powerful um, uh, invitation to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially in a, again, I think in, in the West where we try to hold the negative feelings away and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, the Beatitudes, in a way, are an invitation to, to lean into them and find the blessing in those feelings, mm-hmm. even those that we consider negative, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe, maybe you have a, I just thought I'd see, you have a story. You've worked with a lot of people, someone who, whose leadership maybe that you've seen uh, develop in, in some way, in a, in a positive way. Yeah, we really at the heart of this book is this journey that, that I invite people on. To, um, and so uh, a couple times a year, I start groups that are called Ninefold Path Leader Labs. And we, we've had a chance to, over the last few years, to invite hundreds of leaders, uh, maybe even thousands of leaders around the world to engage in in a heartfelt multi-week experience of working with these, uh, the, the Beatitudes. And the key to it is it's, it's not just an intellectual or cognitive trip. We're, we're inviting people, one another to be authentic and, um, and to take on some practices that might help us integrate 
the reality that these, these beatitudes point us towards in everyday life. So a lot of the leaders that we've had go through it say, I've, I've been a Christian a long time. I've taught scripture a lot, but this group has challenged me in some really powerful ways and brought, brought this truth home to the, the private places of my life. And I'm experiencing newness. I'm learning to, to trust in the creator's care in new ways. I'm learning to respond differently to, to people that I interact with. And to, um, I've, for a long time, I've wanted to, I've known that I want to see and act in a new way, but this group experience is helping me to actually experience mm-hmm. it. Um, that beatitude uh, where Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mm-hmm. mercy has been particularly powerful for a lot of people where mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> we invite one another to learn to look with eyes of compassion mm-hmm. rather than judgment or contempt. And so for each beatitude, including this one, we ask what we call an animating question. Who do you tend to label, stereotype, or judge? Mm. And we'll share about that with Mm. each other. And then we'll take on some practices uh, to address that. Uh, One of them is something we call eyes of compassion, where we say, take some time this week, go to a public place where you can see lots of people, and for 30 minutes to 60 minutes, um, try and look at each person in the face and in, in the eyes, mm. if you can, and remember who they really are mm. and uh, pray this prayer silently. Child of God, may you be well. Mm. And so, so many people have a transforming experience kind of working on that. I, I think compassion is like a muscle that we can learn to exercise, to resonate yeah. with God's heart yeah. towards others and towards ourselves. Yeah. And the promise that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount is if that we if we learn to look at one another through eyes of compassion, through eyes of mercy, that we'll receive the kind of compassion that we so desperately long for, uh, that yeah. that acceptance we so desperately long for. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And um, la- last question: how how have you been formed, perhaps, um, in, in your study of the Beatitudes? And yeah, I've had a chance to sit with them on almost a daily basis the last five years. And mm. I would say um, I continually feel like a beginner, like um, it, like they keep inviting me back to reality, mm. you know, on this journey of recovery. And, um, and sometimes I see signs of, wow, I really am, ex- really am living, learning to live in compassion or learning to live in trust. And then, uh, I have experiences that also kind of pain me to see I'm still not in sync with reality in this part of my life or in my reaction to that, yeah. uh, that situation. Uh, one that I mentioned in the book, which was kind of interesting, was um, during the time I was writing this book, I went to the pharmacy to pick up a prescription. And the person next to me sitting in the waiting area pulled out a gun and started mm. brandishing it. Oh. And immediately I feel my, my heart race and I'm like, how do I react? And I, I started thinking about beatitudes and I was like, blessed are the poor. God is here with me in this situation. Um, Blessed are those who are persecuted for, for uh, righteousness and justice. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have to be afraid right now. Um, How can I be an agent of God's uh, 
uh, healing and care. And I felt like I was able to experience a level of calm that surprised me in quite a stressful situation. And I turned to the individual next to me and said, hey, what kind of gun is that? And they kind of mumbled (laughs) something. And I said, you know, uh, friend, I just I'd encourage you to put it away right now because I'm afraid that if the if the security guard sees you, you might have a not a good interaction with with him yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or with the police. And the person quietly put it back, and I went up to get my prescription. And uh, I said to the pharmacist, "You might want to keep an eye on that guy because I, I think he's having a rough day." <laughs> oh my gosh! And uh, when I went back a a couple of weeks later, the pharmacy said that the person left without incident. So. Yeah. That's I like amazing. to think that my time with the Beatitudes helped me respond yeah. in a way that kind of, you know, deactivated a potentially mm-hmm. stressful situation, yeah. dangerous situation. I, I, I remember reading that story in the book and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. But, you know, and usually, right, the three typical responses are fight, flight, or freeze. And yeah. it was, it was, that was a fourth option, right? And it, it yeah. I don't know. It maybe shows that there 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 are more options than just the way we have been I don't know wired or whatever. But there's more to what we can do and 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 the way God can work through us when we walk that path. Um, and I think as leaders, we really have an opportunity to help people to see when yeah. when am I living in the light of God's care and presence, yeah. and and when am I not? And mm. when we are. When we are judgmental, afraid, worried, anxious, um, revengeful, we're n- contemptuous. We're not living in the light of God's kingdom and reality. Yeah. And yeah. so there's an opportunity there when we recognize that to say, Jesus has a better way for us. What, yeah. what would it be like if I could learn to live significantly free of worry and anxiety? Or what would it be like if I could let go of my resentments. So one of the things we work on a lot in the in our groups is is at, inviting people to make a list of people that they've struggled to forgive or let go of resentments towards. And we support each other to, to work those steps of letting go of resentment. And it's really exciting to see people freed in their lives from from that, that pain. Yeah. That's awesome. Jesus was onto something there, huh? <laughs> Man, uh, Mark, this has been a great conversation. If if people want to find out more about you and the work that you're doing, where can they go? Yeah, a couple of good places to look. Um, MarkScandret.com. Um, there's also a website called the, called NineFoldPath.org that's specifically about the learning journey that we developed that the book is based on. And... Um, and then our, our organization's website, reimagine.org, are three good okay. places to go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thanks uh, so much for, yeah, thanks for this book. Thanks for the work that you're doing. And uh, thanks for this conversation. Yeah. Great to be with you, Marcus. That last story that Mark tells us is really incredible, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure what I would have done in that situation. But the way Mark handled that experience is a testament to the power of the Beatitudes, right? It's a testament to the power of surrendering to a way of living that is counter to the way the world operates. And that's what the world needs. 
That's what our churches and ministries and organizations need. They need leaders who are walking the path that Jesus has laid out for us. They need leaders who will speak peace and healing into a violent and broken world. And that's my prayer for you, right? That that's the kind of leader that you will be and the kind of leader I I pray that I will be. Well, if this episode has been a blessing to you, would you share it with someone you know? And we'd also really appreciate it if you would rate and review this podcast. Thanks so much for being here, and I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership. Leadership.